Well, good morning, church family. Uh, wasn't a good one. Uh, good morning, church family. There we go. Uh, last week, we kicked off our Christmas series uh, by talking about how uh, the, the story surrounding the birth of Christ, it, it begs us to adjust our priorities, and, and not just in this Christmas season here in December, but, but in seasons beyond as well. And last week, we looked at the story of Joseph, the father of Jesus, as he was faced with just an incredibly, incredibly difficult decision. Uh, should he go about uh, his priorities for his life or go about God's priorities for his life? Uh, should he live life on, on his terms or, or, or follow God's terms, what God is asking him to do? And the hard thing about that is if, if he went with God's priorities for his life, then he was going to risk his, his reputation and being misunderstood by the rest of the world. And we really focused in on how it's so important for us as believers today to understand that, that as we go about God's priorities in our life, that there's a great potential that we're going to be misunderstood by people. And that's okay. And today we're going to continue talking about a few more individuals surrounding the birth of Christ and what we can learn from them. Uh, They're sometimes referred to as the wise men. Uh, Or in some traditions, uh, translations, excuse me, uh, they're called kings. They're called magi. And and what we'll see today is that that magi is just way more of an accurate description. You see here at, at Fork Christian Church, we use the New Living Translation of the Bible. And there are likely thousands of different translations, but we use the New Living Translation uh, simply because it allows, uh, uses a lot of common terms, things that everyone can understand no matter how familiar they are with the Bible. That's why we choose to use it. We at this church, we want to be inclusive. Uh, a term, for example, such as wise men uh, that our translation uses to talk about these guys, that's a very, very inclusive word. And although no translation is perfect, unless, of course, you can speak and read and write Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, the original language of the Bible, um, I want you to up front that I think our translation of the New Living Translation, it does miss it here with these wise men by not giving them a lesser known but more descriptive and more accurate label, such as Magi. And we'll talk about, I'm going to get real nerdy here in a little bit, and we'll talk about that then. Uh, but the story of these, these men, these wise men, these, these Magi, it's, it's often overlooked. They're kind of neglected, but their story is fascinating because uh, the, these wise men or Magi, their presence into the Christmas story, it gives us a glimpse into God's priorities. The fact that they are there in the midst of the Christmas story, it gives us this glimpse into the heart of God. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your devices, today we're going to spend most of our time uh, in the, the book of Matthew, chapter 2, uh, but we're going to stop along the way uh, and talk about a, a lot of the history and the context in which Jesus was born into, because I think as we start to uncover some of these historical details, what we'll see is that this will reinforce the idea that Jesus' birth it involved very real people at a very real time in a real town. It's, it's not just some feel-good fable that people talk about. Once a year. And so we're going to hit a lot of facts as well today, but jumping into Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It's a section titled Visitors from the East. We read Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. I want to stop there because I want to make sure that we first and foremost understand this, this town that he was born in, Bethlehem, and then we'll move on and we'll talk a little bit about King Herod. So first off, Bethlehem was this very, very small, tiny village on the outskirts of a very, very large city. That that city was Jerusalem. And well before the birth of Christ, Bethlehem held some significant moments. If you open up your Bible or just beyond the cover, the first book you'll see is the book of Genesis. And that's one of the first mentions we get of Bethlehem. 
In the book of Genesis, uh, we see a major character named Rachel, and Rachel actually passes away in Bethlehem. Our biblical book of Ruth is almost set entirely in the small town of Bethlehem, and most notably, it's the presumed birthplace and home of one of Ruth's descendants. His name is King David. It's the the family line that Jesus is from. And then here in this this present moment happening right now, uh, there are thousands of people every day that are flocking to Bethlehem to, to stand near the church that they believe was built over where Jesus was born. And although people, my wife's been there, she says it's incredibly peaceful, like a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, I've not been there, but I've heard other people say that. What's interesting is that despite the, the peace you can feel standing in that place, uh, the Palestinian and Israeli forces are just miles away constantly at battle in the Holy Land. But, but near the birth of Christ, Bethlehem was a sleepy little town that for, for years and years and years, hundreds and hundreds of years, was expecting a significant arrival. In fact, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah uh, prophesied that the big things would be happening in this small town. He writes, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, which may sound weird, but Bethlehem Ephrathah, it's referring specifically to descendants of David in Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. Are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. So in this small town for at least 700 years, people are anticipating something substantial happening there. A, a birth, the birth of a ruler, the birth of a king, the birth of Jesus. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. So let's talk about King Herod for a moment. First off, King Herod was appointed rule over Israel. He was appointed rule over God's people by the Roman government. He was not elected, and this caused a lot of friction between God's people and King Herod, mainly because King Herod was pretty much a jerk. Uh, He was ruthless. He was cunning. He was willing to kill anyone in his own family to make sure nobody took his throne. He killed sons. He he killed wives. He killed assistants that were close to him, all because he was afraid that somebody would one day take over his throne. Uh, he's also an, an insecure king. You can, if you go over to Israel today, you can see just massive structures that have uh, kind of stood the test of time, that have a little bit fallen down and disheveled, but, but massive structures that King Herod put, spent a lot of money building just so that way uh, people could see uh, his power and his wealth. He wanted to, to lord himself over the people he ruled over. So you can imagine how thrilled King Herod would be at the thought of a child being born in a no-name town who would one day rule over them and take his throne, take his territory. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands, or magi from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem. They're asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. So here's our wise men, here's our magi. They, They come into this moment in history that hopefully we have a better grasp on. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are several different names that people have used in talking about these men. Uh, But when Matthew wrote his text, when he wrote his gospel, when he wrote uh, his findings about Jesus, uh, the original language that he authored that in was Greek. And the Greek word that, that Matthew chose to use as he describes these individuals, these men, it was incredibly unique. And it's magos, all right? It's a Greek word called magos. If you want to look real smart, Okay, next time you're at somebody's house and you see the nativity scene, you're like, so you brought the magus out. They'll think you're just brilliant and then just move on with your life, right? But magos, here's why it's so unique. It's only used six times in all of the Bible. 
Just six times in all the Bible. Matthew, in what we'll read today, he uses it four times. And the other two times that magos is used in the Bible, it's used in the book of Acts, talking about pagan sorcerers. In our language, we translate magos to magi. I know that sounds like a a lot of gritty details, but but why would Matthew bother so much to include these wise men, these magi, the, the, the magos, in his story? Like, Why is that a detail he cares to share with us? Well, because it's shocking. Okay, it doesn't make any sense that these men are present by the rules we like to play by. The first century audience, they would have been blown away by this development, a development in the nativity scene that we just kind of sleep on. We just kind of assume, oh yeah, they're there, why wouldn't they be there? First century audience would say, the Magus, were, they were there, the Magi? You see, the Magi is an ancient word referring to, to, to pagan sorcerers and astrologers. And it's these men that are led by God to come and worship Jesus. They were, they were blatant rule breakers. They were sorcerers, right? They violated the Old Testament laws that all the good boys and girls would have followed. But yet they are being led by God himself to go and worship Jesus. To all the religious people, it would make no sense why God in this moment in time would lead the ungodly to his son Jesus, which is why it is perfect for the Christmas story. It's perfect for the Christmas story. Now, we don't know uh, these wise men individually. Some people have speculated uh, erroneously at their names, but, but we know a few general things about them. First, we know they came from the east, most likely Persia, uh, which if you're looking at a map, that's modern-day Iran. Uh, but coming from that location, we have to understand they would have had to travel over 900 miles to see Jesus. 900 miles. Uh, we also know, he's already talked about, they're pagan astrologers. They would have had their eyes on the sky. They likely saw a bright, unfamiliar star, a phenomenon in their mind. They probably sought out local advice and wisdom on what this could have meant. And then they are led by God and the star, 900 miles to Jerusalem in search of Jesus. I'm back to Matthew. King Herod, as not much to our surprise, was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, King Herod ruling over Israel, over God's people, uh, it's right there in their scriptures. Uh, They they would have had a lot of these scriptures memorized. And so Herod should have known where Jesus was going to be born. But the fact that he had to bring other people in and ask them shows how out of touch he was as a leader, how out of touch he was with his people. So he's saying, does anybody know where this Messiah is supposed to be born? And I'm sure it was an awkward moment in the room because people are thinking, you should know, king. But he doesn't. And so somebody spoke up and said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, the Magi, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, and, and I love that because it shows this isn't a mutual meeting, this is more of an interrogation, a jealous king trying to manipulate the birth of Christ. So after this interview, the wise men went their way. And this is huge, ladies. Don't miss this, right? And the star they had seen in the east, 
guided them to Bethlehem. So historically speaking, this is the first time that we have documented that men can follow directions. It's absolutely remarkable, right? So the star guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. You know, we we call these the the wise men uh, many times, but I think probably the wisest thing about these men is that against all odds, and there were a lot stacked against them, against all odds, they sought after Jesus. They went to great lengths, even risking their lives by betraying a king to come to Christ. Then when they got to Christ, they recognized his worth, and they fell down in worship of him. And following God and, and worshiping Jesus for who Jesus really is, against all odds, when we choose to seek him out and worship him, that's real wisdom right there. But there is something else happening uh, right here amid this story that tells us, as I mentioned at the top, so much about the heart of God, so much about the priorities of God and, and the heart and priorities that we need to adopt, not just in this season, but seasons beyond. You see, the birth of Christ, the, the Son of God, the, the Spirit of God in the flesh coming into the world was the hope of an entire nation. And it's now part of the faith we cling to. And the birth of Jesus was something that only happened once. There will be a second coming, but there's only one birth. Just one moment, one of the top three moments in our world's history, I believe, joining Jesus' death and resurrection. And as I think about this special, rare occasion just happening once, I was thinking this week of how our culture would want to handle that, who they would invite into such a special moment. What would their guest list look like? Honestly, I think our culture would say, well, who's the holiest people? Who's the most important people that could be there for such a special occasion? What, are there any famous people that, that we could have there? Right? If the culture was setting the guest list, they'd probably have uh, people who have to come off, down off their pedestal to attend the event. Uh, maybe they would invite uh, famous Christian authors, you know, pastors, religious figures, you know, people who, whose influence would kind of get their foot in the door, and they'd be able to be there for the birth of Christ. But that's not the guest list that God put together. You know who God invited into the story of the birth of Christ? Magi. Let me be a little more specific. Do you know who God invited into the story of the birth of Christ? Non-believers. People without faith. Pagans who worship the stars. People who had yet to worship God. Not the spiritual elite, but outsiders who would follow God's leading in this world. It's absolutely remarkable. But what does that tell us about the heart of God? Well, it tells us that God cares for even the least likely individuals. He absolutely cares for the least likely individuals, the people that we think would never be in. The presence of these men, these outsiders, these individuals who had not been living their life for God, They've not been following the ways of God. They've not trusted God with their lives. Yet, it's these men who are invited and directed by God to participate in one of the most world-changing, faith-shaping, holy events to ever happen. There's nobody in our culture who would have thought they deserved to be there. They couldn't have earned their way there. Yet, they are present in the Christmas story because we serve and love an inclusive God who cares even for the least likely of individuals. You know, we've all fallen short of glory. None of us are are perfect. Yet all of us, just like these godless men, just like these these magi, they're invited into the opportunity to leave everything else that they are worshiping behind and just worship Jesus. Now I confess, in in all of my faith life, 
and I've, I've read this story, you know, you've probably, like me, sat in churches, and you've heard the Christmas story a million times, and, and I've always put a lot of emphasis, emphasis personally on their gifts, right? Three significant gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrhs. People assume that there's, you know, there's only three of them because there's only three gifts, but maybe just three people carrying them. There could have been someone, someone told me today that someone speculated there could have been 17 of these magi that are actually present. And so I've always put a lot of emphasis on their spiritual gifts. Uh, we had a series about it last year. But I've never thought about their faith or, or lack thereof. And personally, I've always neglected what this moment says about how much God cares for and invites those who are currently living without faith he desires for them to be a part of his family. To the extent that God used the birth of his son, used the birth of Jesus as a moment to bring the faithless to faith. He used the birth of his son. He could have sat back and enjoyed, you know, from having the moment it was, he could have had anybody there. He could have had the holiest people, but no, no, God used the birth of his son, Jesus, to bring the faithless to faith. And as we enter into this season where we are in the thick of celebrating the birth of Christ, would you say that your priority is the same? If God used the, the, the birth of his son, Jesus, to bring the, the, the faithless to faith, would you say that your priority is the same? Are we entering into this season? We're in it now where, where we're constantly thinking about how can we bring people who are outside of faith to faith? Have we, have we slowed down enough in this season to give thought to who it is in our life that needs more than a card, more than a gift, more than a, an invitation to a Christmas Eve service, but, but be invited into the opportunity to worship Jesus Christ and receive eternal life? Now, I get it because I've spent more time sitting in chairs uh, listening to a pastor than I have up here with a microphone strapped to my face. Um, when I was in, in high school, if you'd have given me a glimpse into this headshot right now, it'd have been like, it's McDonald's, isn't it? I'm working at, it's the drive-thru. Like I would assume that's the only way I'd have a microphone strapped to my face. I spent a lot of time sitting in seats and having pastors say, have you thought about this? And who is it in your life that you need to be you know, loving on so, so we can nudge them closer to Jesus? And I remember probably just like some of you are experiencing like, how am I supposed to lead someone to faith? Like, how? I'm supposed to bring them to church, and the person with the microphone strapped to their face, that's your job. Like, I thought I was so inadequate, insecure, and there's no way that, that measly old me could ever bring somebody to faith. But when I look at, at these wise men's story, when I look at the story of the Magi, nobody had to convince them of anything spectacular. There was no debate in this story. When they met Jesus, that is when they knew he was worthy of worship. You know, when you think about your own story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I highly doubt that you got into some debate with somebody, you lost the argument, and you thought, well, I guess I got to give my life to Jesus. I just lost an argument. I doubt that's how you arrived. I doubt that somebody twisted your arm so much that you're like, fine, I'll give in to eternal life. Just leave me alone. Like, that's probably not how you came to faith in Jesus. Now, what's true of my story and what's likely true about yours as well is that we found inclusive people who, who like that star in the sky, guided us well enough with their love to the point that we were open to seeing Jesus for who he really was. People just loved us and, and guided us well enough that we could get near to Jesus and see that, that he, was, he was born into this world for us. He died for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose in power to give us hope for a new and changed life. Bringing the faith, faithless to, to, to faith, it, 
it doesn't require some degree. You don't need to have a, a desk at a church office to bring somebody to faith. This story shows us that it merely requires a willingness to be inclusive and to love people well enough that they can get close to Jesus and get a glimpse of who he is and what he has done for them. I know we've, we're in a busy season. Uh, I get that. Probably it may seem busier than ever right now trying to just strategize and plan everything with a lot of red tape and rules and restrictions. And so I know we're in a busy season. We, we have our list. And last week we talked a lot about like what's our priorities going into this season are our priorities aligning with God's? But today, I don't want to pose the question of what's your priority. I'd like to pose the question a little bit differently and ask, who's your priority? Who's your priority? Who is that person in your life that that you know needs the love of Jesus? They need to know that they are valued. They need to know that they matter. They need to know that they are worthy and loved. They need to know Jesus. Who is that person? Because I think the challenge for us is, is in this season, will we be others-centered? Others-focused even to those that we least expect to be open to the things of God. Because I stand here before you now as somebody who all the, all the Christians would have said, Josh would be the least likely person to ever follow Jesus. Some of you, in your, your own story, your own life, you're probably thinking, yeah, I can't believe I have faith. Like I, when I look back at my life, I was one of the people who is least likely to give my life to Christ. So who is that person in your life that that, that you know, like they they need to be guided towards Christ, even if they seem like the least likely candidate? So in our teaching time today, uh, just like last week, and what we're going to do throughout this series, it's it's a very busy uh, stretch of life. It's a busy month, and so we're going to kind of have a forced slowdown um, at the end of our, our, our teachings in this series. And and just like last week, I, I would like for us to, to spend some time in prayer. And not just in prayer as far as us talking to God, but have an open heart as we, we listen for the nudge of God, as, as we have those thoughts that come into our mind, we're like, yeah, that, that was you, God. I gave you space to speak to me. It wasn't audible, but now I'm thinking of that person I need to love. So here in a couple of minutes, a couple of seconds, I, I'm just going to say a prayer and, and give some space, some time for you to use however you'd like, but what I'd really like us to do is to spend some time in thankfulness, that despite our sins, despite our imperfections, that we are called sons and daughters of the King, that we get to have a relationship with Jesus. And I'd really like to use kind of the back half of this prayer time to, to guide all of us, myself included, into who's that person or who's that family that we need to love on, that we need to guide, not because they're a project, because people are not projects. But how, who are those people that we can, we can love, that we can be intentional with? So that way we, just like that star in the story, that we can guide them towards Jesus. And at that point, they can make the decision for themselves. That's not on us. So let's go ahead and spend some time praying together. God, even as I, I speak your name right now, I, I realize that it's just miraculous that you listen to people like us. You care about us uh, enough and you, and you love us enough that when we speak, when your children speak, you, you're a good enough dad that you, that you want to listen. So God, right now, uh, we come to you and um, we want to thank you for loving us as your children despite our imperfections.
God, we thank you for, for being an inclusive God who desires everyone to worship your son, Jesus. God, in light of you inviting these magi into worship your son, Jesus, um, I ask right now that you place on our hearts, place in our minds that person who we know needs the hope your son, Jesus, gives. We pray, we ask, who is it for each one of our lives? God, we know it's one thing to think of somebody who needs your love. It's another thing to put them in a position that they're willing to receive it. And so, God, give us the courage and boldness to reach out to them, to prioritize them, to, to love them, so one day they may come to know Jesus. God, we thank you for loving us. It's in the name above all other names, the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.